kicked the old two hours off with Alvin Lee and 10 years after, so prophetic so many decades ago. Roger Sales, your host, and Radio Ranch, name of our get-together quilting session, and the People's Patriot Network, our platform, already got a healthy group going here. They're calling before the show even starts, man. You know, times are getting interesting. So we got uh, Sean from yesterday. Sean might not have hung up all night <laughs> waiting for the show to come back on. Dennis, his father, and... Uh, uh, and Mr. And Mr. Chris uh, joined us. It's an exciting time. And there's a lot of very positive things happening for us. And I was thinking here right before the program a, a little bit. I thought, you know, our little get-together here on a, on a weekday basis, been doing it for a number of years now, about two and a half here at this particular stop hopefully we're not going to have any more stops down the line. And uh, we're the largest – the single largest group of truly free people in the world that get together on a regular basis. Now, that's you noodle on that for a while, okay? I think that's pretty darn cool. Uh, we're in the land of unintended consequences. And I, the what happened yesterday is something I wanted to, of course, there's just a ton of stuff to talk about. But... Um, as of yesterday, if you remember during the show, I'd break in and say, well, Zero Hedge says oil's down to $4 a barrel. So that was starting when we were on the air yesterday and after we got off. I mean, I was spellbound for the next hour and a half, two hours, communicating with people, all the stuff that's happening, oil going down eventually, I believe, to minus $57 a barrel last night at some point, 51 something like that. My, we've been talking for years about the paradox of an impossibility that's been going on around us. So this is nothing new. We had a pre-shock. It's called negative interest rates. And I don't know if Sean knows about all this. Those that have been hanging around here do because we talk about it. But here a year or two ago, as, as, as that time frame, there's been 11 trillion dollars in sovereign bonds in europe that are selling at a negative interest rate now what that means because bonds are very interesting you know uh is that it's the debt market the stock market's the equity market the bond market which runs everything that you're the collateral for is is the big kahuna it's three to ten times as big as the stock market and that's where the country's forward sell, again, using forwards and futures, future selling your labor off of your income tax is basically what it is, okay? But that's what they do. They promise somebody they're going to give you a little money for so much length of time, and you're going to pay them back, you see? And that all depends on this thing called the yield, how much you're going to get back, and that is a directly opposite relationship to the price of the bond. So that's a super important, a little bit of a difficult, if it's new to you, concept to get over is that with this huge debt market bonds, there's what's called an inverse relationship. And the relationship is, depending on what the yield or the price does, the other one does the opposite. So this morning, the big danger, according to Greg Marinero, is that the 10-year Treasury bond, which is the benchmark for mortgages, loans, credit cards, everything else in the world, it's a key important rate, the 10-year bond is down to 0.55 this morning. That means the yield's dropping. It was sure. up at 0.6 or 0.7 yesterday. Okay. We can. Hello, what is that interruption that keeps coming in here? 
It just goes blank. No idea. Well, let's get, stop. We're getting picking up a conversation from uh, from another line. It's fading in and out. We're picking somebody something else up because there's conversation there. And all right, well, we'll just roll on anyway. This is important concept because it's an important time because that very very important little marking point telltale, if you will, is going super low. So what does that mean? That means if the yield's going low, the price is going high. So people all over the world that see this unbelievable financial situation with things that oil is selling at minus $50 a barrel, <laughs> that kind of situation, and they're holding bonds and the price is real high, what would your inclination be? You'd be looking for the exit door. Where do I sell these things and get out now? Okay, and that's what their their fear is. That's what they've been doing is monetizing because people have been selling bonds, central banks, Chinese, Russians, all these other people uh, for for years now, and the Fed's been absorbing them. But it gets to a point where they can't absorb them all. Okay, and so that's a, the precipitous situation that we're in, and all these relationships that are so cattywampus like the one I just described to you, that all impinge on each other and are interconnected. We said yesterday about the cluster flock, catch that phone. We said yesterday about the cluster flock of black swans that was circling, and you just didn't know which one was going to come out. Well, it came out yesterday during the damn program, the price of oil. Why did the price of oil, which is what the U.S. dollar, along with you being collateralized, is based on? Yeah. Okay. And so, God damn it. Uh, and so it's super important. They're all interconnected, and that's why I say it's the land of unintended consequences. Have you read in this enough to know what caused the oil thing yesterday? Dennis? There seems to be some price wars between Saudi and Iraq or Iran or somewhere. Nope, that ain't it. It's simpler than that. It's stor storage. It's storage. And over oversupply. They're every storage Thanks. tank, every big 300-yard huh, tank, or there's about 40 or 50 of them parked in one cove somewhere, all of them in the world are full. It's a glut. Oh, yeah, the Okay, and so what really is happening is now it's only going to it's starting to see the first reaction from all the factories and the activity being shut down because of this coronavirus and all of the damn storage tanks are full. Somebody will pay what you damn? to take it. That's unintended consequences of the interlocked, globalized world we're in. And, boy, there's going to be a whole bunch more of them in our future, and we don't know not only, A, what they are, but, B, where the hell they're coming from, or, C, when they're coming. Right. Chris? Hold, now, hold it. Chris? You got to start totally all over because we can't hear a damn word you're saying on that phone. Well, I'm right here by it, and there's nobody around me. It's, it's Global Project Lockdown. Okay, was that a dot com? Uh, I wish there was. I've been trying to find something on it. The way they keep 
got to be an aspect of the cloud and proven model of global deception that's well, going on. Well, sure, that's what's going on. I mean, that ain't no damn big secret, but they're losing control of it with things like this Dr. Batara, and that's the next thing I was going to get into. We mentioned it right before the show. Uh, uh, Sean was saying he finally watched it last night and then went and watched all these five this morning. I tried to go to the website, and it said something about describe, and we'll send you an email, and I don't like doing all that crap. And so uh, this morning I stumbled on it on YouTube, and all five episodes are on YouTube. And it, you can just put in, go to YouTube and put up there in the search engine, Dr. Ross. R-A-S-H-I-D, Rashid, Rashid, maybe, R-A-S-H-I-D, his middle initial is A, if you want to put that in there, I don't think you need to, but you do need to have his last name correct, and it's B-U-T-T-A-R, Batar. He's a spark plug and a fire plug. You got Dr. Shiva out there. You got all these things being exposed on Gates, Fauci, the who, all of this crap, the incestuous relationship, the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars that is going one way in that whole relationship. All those things are coming to a head, and people are sitting at home stuck in, in many respects, on the Internet, and they're getting absolutely frustrated, anxious, and probably pissed. And all this information sitting right there in front of them. I said a couple of weeks ago that that little combination of things is going to backfire on these guys remember all their stuff always backfires and i don't think still this was a plan from the get-go operation i think they had it in plans but i think it escaped out there before they were ready or else they wouldn't have been caught so flat-footed but like these guys have a tendency to do is make hay while the sun shines and they ain't gonna let any stuff like this go to waste when they can tighten the screws on us so what have we got? We got the magic antidote, not only vitamin C and the way to approach the virus, but to go after this politically and put ourselves in a position where we're immune to them. Filing, in a sense, in an analogy, filing that affidavit with the Secretary of State is the world's best vaccine. Now, you noodle on that one, okay? Because it absolutely, prophylactically protects you from these bastards Unless or until they get to a point where they have to take the mask off and they will avoid and that at all costs because they know we got the numbers. That's the game we're playing. They're playing a legal game. You don't believe that they have limitations, but they have limitations and i will put forth an example a parallel example right here to prove it to you do not when they're going to do a false flag dennis you're on there with us dennis when they're going to do a false flag do not they have to tell you some way perverse or not in advance that they're going to do it to you They've always done that. And do they do it every time? Why? Do you think they do it every time because they want to? I don't know why they're forced into it, but they are. They seem to do it every time. Well, the same thing applies to the legal structure. They've got a legal structure. Because of your conditioning, you have the uh, perception. i got to call Chris back here. Jeez almighty, Chris, load Skype, for God's sakes. Yeah, he re- you re- Chris, you really should. I've been, it, should it I've be- been bitching at him for over a year, man. All has uh, been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Seven, 
0252. Pardon me, audience. <laughs> um, I, it, it, I, I, don't, I forgot. I don't, hell, I don't I trust even, people who don't swear, Roger. I'm sorry. I even forgot where the hell I was. Uh, uh, Chris, we got to remedy this situation, old buddy, somehow. Okay. Yeah, I'm um, gonna have to get a new provider. Somebody told me about Boost Mobile. Well, some kind just of just get on Skype. Get on Skype. Just load Skype. We That's the answer, man. <laughs> Jeez. We love I, to hear. We love to hear you. Everybody wants to hear what you say. How Dennis, you're listening to the program. When Chris is on, generally, is there always a lag in what he's trying to get across because of this connectivity problem? Yes, that's true. And and Chris has a lot of wonderful things to say. I wish Chris, I really wish you get that Skype. I'm begging you, man. I've been trying to beg you for a year. I'm down on one knee here, Chris. Well, they're routing all my calls through Bluffdale, Utah, Cheyenne Mountain, well, D.C., uh, and Israel. Well, you can, you can alleviate all that if you'll load Skype, and you can direct them straight to it on a digital feed. Okay? Point being, I've already lost where we were in the show, what I was trying to say, and where I was going. Okay. Well, we were talking about Operation Lockdown, the stopping of the shipping of the oil tankers being parked in a parking place on the ocean, and the global isolationism that's going on to create the global economic pandemic. I was trying to get onto the political stuff, and the, they have a, a creed. You may not believe it, but these bastards have a creed that they follow. And the example I gave, which is absolutely true in every instance that I've ever studied, is they have to tell you what they're going to do to you in advance. And I was asking the question, do you think they want to do that? No. They have to do it because of this creed, and they're religiously dogmatic about it. You may not understand what they're putting out there, but it relieves them of the responsibility and allows them to rationalize it. Okay? Now, they have that same type of way they follow a creed in this legal system. You've been conditioned because you've been a serf in this condition on this screwed up, totally fraudulent system they've set up, and they've conditioned your ass like Pavlov's dog. Okay, to the fact that they're all powerful, all omnipotent, all knowing and everything else. And they're not. They have a legal system. It's all replete in their law books all through there. If you can see it, it's replete in their documents. They tell you just like with a false flag thing and people still don't believe they honor it. That's the point I'm trying to make. Okay, they honor it. That's why this is so important. Again, you think they put all that information in the passport application about citizen, non-citizen, national, all the, hey, warning box, you can, you can attach documentation, comma, including affidavits. You think they put that stuff in there because they wanted to? No. They put it in there because they had to to make it constitutional and legit. They didn't have to put it in there where you understood it but they had to put it in there. Never once. I brought up, it just hit me. You know, Sean, I'm going to tell you, I told you this is a process. I'm still learning after almost 30 years where I am, and things still come to me. And, and it, it's amazing to me. But it hit me just the other day. In that certificate of non-citizen nationality, it says, point blank, in their language, all U.S. citizens are U.S. nationals. And I thought, 
Well, do they have they ever asked you if you're a U.S. national? Has anybody in their ever in their entire lifetime, adult lifetime, we're mostly old tooth folks around here. Has anybody in your adult experience ever been asked if you're a U.S. national? No, not once. But they're the same thing, kinda. They say they are. Do you think they want to put that stuff in there? No, they have to. You don't think this is effective? Well, I'll tell you this. If it gets to the point where it's not effective, you know you're in absolute tyranny. And then you know what to do, don't you? Up until that point, it's effective. And they recognize it. So it's super important. Shane, I'm glad you're walking down the path. Man, Shane, I say, Shane, Sean, I'm glad you're walking down the path. One of our listeners that's named Shane and heard the show yesterday, he said, man, y'all had a lot of trouble with that, didn't you? And I said, yes, we did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Roger, for me, it's I'm, I'm in the deep end drinking out of a hose, but I'm trusting my intuition on this because it feels right, and I like what I'm hearing from everybody on the uh, the station. Well, so thank you, know, you. Now you've got a little insight to where you can look at that certificate of non-citizen nationality, and you say you're uncertain. Well, hell, there it is in their own words on the chief office in their own document on the web. I. Okay, now you're finding it right now. It took me twenty something years to find that thing. But most people would read that and not understand it. Here's what's critical, Sean. You gotta know this is the feudal system. If you don't understand that they have taken the feudal system and instituted it in a different way in a modern era that you didn't understand, okay, just because that happened doesn't mean that ain't what it is. It's the feudal system. And the three words that run the world. There's three words that run the world, and that's the three words all persons born. Those are the first three words of the 14th Amendment because what they're utilizing here is citizenship or political status designated from birth, and the only place that that has come from in history is from the feudal era. And now, just like the camel with his nose under the tent, once they've got that aspect in and the camel's nose under the tent, in follows the rest of the feudal system. And very few people have ever recognized it. A lot of people today will ridicule you if you try and talk to them about it. But they're the ones that not, aren't supposed to know, so don't worry about them. Go on to the next one. This is the feudal system, and if you don't understand that important basic concept and you try and fight these bastards, you're doing nothing but shadow boxing. And if you don't believe me, I'll get Chris on here, and he can verify it because they have literally terrorized his life for the last five years. I'm an expert shadow boxer. Okay. But if Chris would have known this five, six years ago and filed an affidavit, guess what? None of that would have happened because he wouldn't have been a citizen of the United States or a resident, and that's their entire power. It's called jurisdiction. If you're not one of them, they can't pass those man-made laws in the administrative state and apply them to you through enforcement. 
Roger, that change thing is a very dangerous concept, and a lot of people are really fearful and frightened and scared to death to do it, afraid the government will lash out. Well, hell, they're lashing out whether you do it or not. I, I mean, I understand all that. That's why I say we're a special small bunch. It ain't for everybody, you know. Freedom, it ain't for everybody, A. And I'm going to tell you one thing, Sean, old buddy, just getting started in this, freedom ain't free either. You've got to put something in it. It's still worth it, it sounds like to me. There's a cost. It's going to be a cost. you got a a family, a wife and two daughters. It may have peripheral effects on them. I don't know. I'm not saying it is. But I know from personal experience walking this path for almost 30 years that there's costs. You got to study. You got to go look into things that are very intricate that you've never really been confronted before. You got to start using your brain, which is tremendously painful for most people. Okay? Freedom ain't free. But I will tell you the rewards are worth it. You will become empowered if you walk the path and go through the process. And you can get Daryl will call in here. He can verify it. The other people that have done it can verify it also. It is a process of personal empowerment and you're being empowered with the rights and the powers that god intended you to hit this earth with that were stolen from you through fraud that's what it is okay and it does not happen overnight it's a process and everybody's got to go through it, and you learn and grow as you do. The good news for you guys is there's somebody here that can answer your questions and help you walk down the path. Hell, when I did it, there wasn't very few people helping me. So anyway, and that's why I'm here is for you. This show is partially for me because I get to talk about these things and take my sum total of my life's experiences and pursuits and bring them here to this microphone to help other people. But the show's really for you. It's your freedom. I've had my freedom over 10 years, and it's held up in every instance. It's never failed. You know, when you're young and in church, Dennis, and they used to talk about how powerful truth was, and back then in that stage of your life, you never could identify with that. Well, let me tell you what, you get into this arena, you're going to identify it real quick because it is the, what do they call that thing, a claymore? That's the claymore you got in your hands, buddy. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. I like it. I like it. I'm getting I'm getting feverish about it also. So let's see, Daryl. Did we get Daryl or not? Yeah. Okay, yeah. now just to further confuse everything, we've got Shane coming on with Sean. <laughs> I love it. Daryl, bienvenidos. Yeah. Yep. Shane, you tried to call the other day and you hit the wrong profile in Skype. These are some of the pitfalls where you called everybody, and I couldn't answer the the call, and I tried to call you back and got your answering machine and got disgusted. So uh, welcome back. Daryl, you were first. What's on your mind, man? I'm off on a damn soapbox today, aren't I? Yeah, it's a year and a half hour in, and you haven't let up. Good for you. That's cool. Yeah, Uh, that's good. So, so, uh, Sean, uh, 
you know, uh, the way I try to summarize a little bit what uh, Roger is uh, bringing forward here is if you call yourself a patriot, and that would be, you know, somebody calling themselves that, or if you call yourself a Christian, you, you identify as that, then I ask everybody who does that, take a piece of paper, draw a line straight down through the center of it, on one side, write Patriot, and one side, write Christian, and then start telling me what it has cost you. Make this list for yourself. Identify all the areas of your life that it is costing you to be a Christian or be a patriot. Make a list of all the things that you can no longer participate in or do or the things that you need to do that are different than how you are living your life today by identifying by those terms. Because this is what has happened over time, you've been trained, behaviorally modified, and conditioned collectively as a society of 14th Amendment citizens and uh, messianic Christians to modify your belief system to adapt it to the behavior that you've been told to have or wanted to have. And it's going to cost you something. So. I, I really I really have to draw this out. If you are living a contradictory lifestyle and hoping that you, you can go back to where it was comfortable to have that contradictory lifestyle, you're deceiving yourselves. And that's pretty strong, but uh, I think I said that clearly. So There's a whole bunch of – that's a confrontation that individuals are going to have to make and make as a group. Yes. We're about to make that pretty quick. (laughs) It it ain't going to be because they want to make the decision. It's going to be because they have to make the decision. It should be obvious to everybody by now, Roger and everybody, that I I know I'm I'm being Captain Obvious here now uh, when I say that that they're all – they have ulterior motives. Oh, yes. And uh, these ulterior motives are not going to go away by hope. And you, you, you have to get rid of this concept that has been allowed to come into the patriot community that by obeying them, uh, I'm, a, I'm a patriot and I'm a good citizen. And you have to get over the idea that being stupid and naive and complicit is virtuous, righteous uh, form of Christianity. Okay, this is uh, this is uh, going to destroy you. So uh, I walk my talk, and I don't hide from any of them. Okay, and nobody bothers me because I stay in my lane. Yep. When you're walking down the middle of the road, you're going to get caught in traffic from both sides. So pick a side and um, stay in your and, lane. Uh, yeah, the clock is tick, <laughs> and the clock is and the clock is ticking. And see, so, they have a lane uh, that they've got to stay in too, but we haven't understood that. We thought it was a thirty-two lane street, like down there in Buenos Aires, 
Okay, nine to Julio down there in Buenos Aires, largest street in the world. We thought it's that kind of a street of authority, and we find out their street of authority is pretty narrow. Okay, right. Roger, Roger. Yeah. you just you just gave me the, the greatest segue you could ever have given me right there. Because it says in Scripture, the road to hell is broad. Yeah. And paved with good intentions. Okay. And paved with good intentions. Uh, ostensibly, ostensibly good intentions. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so the, the, the way to the Father is who is my lawgiver by the way and who uh is my sovereign i don't see i'm not a one of these goofy uh goofy what we're cutting in and out let's see i'll get daryl back daryl you cut out bro you there I guess he'll I think come. he's gone, Roger. Right. Well, he's sitting here on the screen as he's with us, so I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know if you know Daryl's situation. He lives a little bit out in the country, and he had to – the phone service in Alabama, you'll like this, Shane, the phone service was so terrible that with his business he couldn't keep up a regular connection, and he had to go to a satellite phone. And uh, for a long time, we had echoes, slight echoes, if he wasn't exactly positioned correctly in his warehouse when he's calling. And then he's got Skype, but I'm sure it's still being run over the satellite, and that's a little bit of an inhibition. Daryl, are you back? Do you you hear me now? Yeah, we lost. Yeah, we're back now. Yeah, where were you, man? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, anyway, I'm sorry I I dropped off there. Thank you, uh, it was. I, I had a Windows computer. It was probably a Bill could Gates be. virus. It certainly could have been. So, anyway, um, Bob, uh, I think what's particularly important for people uh, is uh, I, I had a conversation with uh, our friend Mr. Uh, Bob and uh, Bob Morgan here out of South Florida here this morning, and uh, he brought up something yesterday, which is really uh, bolsters, buttresses, and corroborates. The facts of this information. And I think it's really important when you're first beginning this process to have some rock solid information that is uh, can be found on not only the Library of Congress, but uh, uh, so so this so it's a fact uh, that it's there anyway. And and this was what Rob brought up yesterday was eight um, USC. Everybody needs to write this down because I had to call Bob to get it. Eight USC. 1101, parenthetical A, and uh, 21 and 22. And uh, these are incredibly important terms, and uh, it's their terms, and it's in their code, and uh, it corroborates uh, exactly what Roger was talking about earlier with travel state cuffs. So what I'm saying here is we have corroborating information about word terms, and their definitions, and their explicit application. And uh, uh, so this, this is proof. We have, of course, there's more and more and more of this, but it, it's, it's voluminous at this point. I wanted, and, to, um, I wanted to ask Shane a rhetorical question here. Why do you think they call it code? Well, uh, that's Sean. I think you're saying Sean. Yeah, right? Sean. I, Talking so- to Sean. 
going to have both of them on at the same time. Yeah, Sean's who I was directing that to. And it's rhetorical. You don't have to take the mute off. Why do you think they call it a code? Because code revol relates to their legal society. Because code, you have to have their key to be able to transcribe and understand it. Yeah. You got to have your own. It's what was the name of that machine? The Enigma machine in World War II, where they deciphered the uh, Germans. The Enigma, the British Brits had it. Yeah. Now you got to have an Enigma machine before you read the code. So, Daryl, we lose you again. I guess when I interrupt Daryl, he goes away. Let's see here. He'll be back in a second. Hmm. Um, well, let's see here. Robert Hudson wants to call in and join us. That's always a pleasant experience. Hey, Mr. Robert, que pasa? Are we going to have problems oh, here in YouTube? Hey, what the hell's going on here today? <laughs> Can we get anybody? Who's still there? Dennis, are you there? It'll take a roll call. I, I'm here. I'm here, Roger. And, you know, in the future, I, I'd love to. Is the guy Bob that we talked to yesterday, is that Bob Morgan? Yeah. Or is that? Yeah. He's in, Oka, he's in Okeechobee. He and yeah. I were texting last night trying to arrange oh, a call great. today. Okay. Too. I just this is, this, wanted to make sure that this, this, Sean got hold of him. Oh. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, this is, this is Shane, a.k.a. Sean. <laughs> Boy, don't complicate it anymore, please. Sean, uh, as I told you, there's three three pretty good guys in our group that are down there. Terrence, who probably will check in at some point, is in Naples, I believe, and Gary's around Tampa St. Pete, if I'm not wrong. Isn't that right? Clearwater, Tampa St. Pete, somewhere in that area. We hadn't had a convention. Those guys have gotten together once or twice, though, and some of our other listeners were down in South Florida, and they all met over there in Tampa, St. Pete, one day, and so we had a nice Bob, video yeah, call. Yeah, Bob's, uh, Bob's about 20 minutes away from me, so I oh, think we'll hook up at some point. Fantastic, yeah. Um, you're, you're also right there around, I believe, and uh, Daryl would know exactly. Where is... Uh, uh, Rick Wiles' True News outfit. What city is that in? I, I actually don't know exactly. It's one of Naples. those on the is coast. Bob would know. No, that's over on the west. It's over on the east coast somewhere uh, around where you live, I believe, Sean. Um, so let's see if we can get. I, seems there's like a lot, There's a lot of writers in, in Delray. And my my dad knows a few of them. I, I don't know him personally, but there's a lot of writers down here that I think kind of circle in your world as you uh -huh. start speaking about gold and things like that. Right, right. Well, there's always been a nice contingent down there in South Florida. Robert, have we got you online yet, brother? I see you there. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, playing with my Bluetooth, trying to get it to work. So you read me? Yeah, I read you loud and clear now. Welcome back, man. We hadn't heard from you in a while. Yeah. Hi, yeah. Robert. Uh, calling i'm i'm listening oh you're just listening no i'm <laughs> i meant if you don't hear from me i'm usually oh, listening oh, okay, that means gotcha. work out my earbuds in. somebody just texted me in monique did uh it's vero beach so vero beach is where true news is he's got a he holds services and stuff up there are you familiar with rick wiles true news sean 
Uh, no, I'm not. But that's about forty minutes away from where I am. Well, he's uh, he's big time. He's uh, uh, you'll have to look at some of his programs and get a feel for him. So anyway, uh, uh, right along with us, it, our line of thinking anyway. So he's in your area, and uh, we're pretty fortunate. So that's good. You can hook up with Bob, and, of course, uh, you know, we're always accessible for you as you move forward. And it's just, a, it's just a matter, as I was saying yesterday, of addressing when you get started and understanding what you're doing is a great benefit is untying those knots in your mind that they've tied with double meanings of words. In fact, I meant to mention, I was thinking about it after the show, if you go look at the word equivocation, which is technically what they're doing in the dictionary, and specifically in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, and it talks about what it is, and then at the bottom there's a footnote, and it said, this technique is used by non-Christians to fool Christians. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, holy shit. 1828, that well, was written. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the rabbis the rabbis uh, said that, the, this is in their own words, that the Talmud was written for the purpose of cheating the Gentile, or the Goy. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's, its, that's its sole purpose. Uh, you know, there's an element here we don't talk way. about too much that's real important, and that's the Kol Nidre. Okay, and I don't know. I'm sure you had, are. You familiar with that, Sean? The Cole Nidre oath. Okay. I was on mute. No, I'm not. Okay. Well, this happens. This this goes back ancient in the Jewish religion, and it, the Jewish religion has two high holy days, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. One of them is the Jewish New Year, and the other one is the Day of Atonement. And it's the Day of Atonement that revolves around this Kol Nidre oath. It's been going on. You know when Jewish holidays are, and if you ever drive by a synagogue, I used to drive by a synagogue in Atlanta. And on those days, man, you couldn't find a parking spot anywhere on either side of the road for a long ways away from the synagogue. And the reason, in fact, in the Jewish religion, and I believe this goes all the way back to Christ, do you know that they actually contract with the rabbi and pay the rabbi so much per year, and according to how much they pay, it assigns their seat in the temple? Did you know that? I did. I just went to a bar mitzvah with some good friends of mine down here. Okay, so that's what happens. That to me, and that's how how that. I, I, I was I, 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 I was a little bit shocked when I when they said that too. They're like, we have good seats, and they were talking about their high holidays, right? And that, and they said, yeah, we're guaranteed parking and guaranteed seating up front. So. Yeah, because they because <laughs> they paid the rabbi a premium. There was a case that went to the eleventh circuit when I was in Atlanta. Uh, out of Miami where there was some dispute between the rabbi and whoever the people were, and it went all the way to the 11th Circuit, the appellate level, and they ruled in favor of the rabbi because his contract, okay? So that goes all the way back. Remember Jesus said, you, you want the finest seats in the temple? Remember that? 
That's in the New Testament, okay? So it's a real critical part of their religion, and the reason it's critical is for these two high holy days, and one of them is this Kol Nidre oath. And the Kol Nidre oath used to say it was a vow that they take on that day in the synagogue that they absolve themselves from any lies, cheating, and all that stuff that they've done in the past year. In the past year forgiveness and absolvement okay and back in about the sabbatai zevi days they switched it from the past year to the future year and they go in there in that high holy day and get those expensive seats and swear an oath that they can lie cheat and steal and get everything you got for the next year and they're absolved of any guilt of it yeah well Sean, uh, uh, this is this this is really this this particular aspect of this uh, research and understanding and who's perpetuating this, facilitating it is particularly difficult for a lot of people who want to be uh, politically correct and uh, socially accepted. And uh, regrettably, we have to uh, we have to delve into it and. Uh, this is the question of uh, a Judaism and the Talmud and uh, these things. So uh, let me let me draw this out for you a little bit. Uh, there's a conclusion that we're in uh, debt. Uh, we're, the governments are printing all this money and they're in debt and they're in debt to the Federal Reserve. And you can listen to all the YouTubes until the blood runs out of your ears and they'll talk about debt. And they will never identify who they're in debt to. <laughs> well, who are they in debt to? They're in debt to the money changers. Oh, right. no. Well, you know what they and, tell you. Here's the, what they tell you. You owe the debt to yourselves. Yeah. Well, uh, that's... That's a that's a nice way to run it around in a circle. But it sure is. <laughs> in fact, you, <laughs> you're effective too. You're, uh, yeah, that you're 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 in debt. You're in debt to the Federal Reserve, which is a private corporation, and uh, it's owned by uh, uh, Jews. Period. Now, when you go back, Sean, there's some real important differentialities here, and I think the theme of everything we do is this, simplified. They set us up with generalities and then zap us with specificities. They set you up in these general terms that you identify with, and then they come back and knock you off your feet with something real technical that's buried underneath. So you've got to know what's underneath. Yeah. Okay, and, yeah. and and on the Jewish issue, do you know the difference between the Talmud and the Torah? No. Okay, well, you need to, the, the, all right, your education starts there, okay? Those are the two holy books followed by the Jewish religion. One of them is what Jesus referred to as the tradition of the elders, that's the Babylonian Talmud. And the reason he referred to it as that is because it was passed down generation to generation orally. And it was not written in written form until 500 years after they crucified him. 
It's the Babylonian Talmud, the Sunoco edition right. is the one I'm specifically referring to. But what you'll see when you see pictures of Judaism is them unroll a big scroll in the ceremony, and they'll take a little reader that's always a little hand with a finger, and they read right to left. That's the Torah, and that's the first five books of the Bible. So there's your split in Judaism, the Babylonian influence or the true biblical influence, if you will. Okay. Mm. And what you call the yeah. Babylonian influence now, which probably your friends or members of that you were involved speaking of are called reform Judaism. The others are Orthodox and they're the ones with the little black hats and the black garb and the long sideburns and all that stuff. Those are the Orthodox folks. And the others are Reformed. And the Reformed people, the Reformed Judaism was started in 1837 by the Rothschilds. That's how far back they've been planning this. Yeah. And they're, they, the, Reformed, the Reformed Jews, uh, and the secular Jews, for that matter, are uh, their god is Lucifer. Correct. They worship Lucifer. And, and uh, this, is, this is also uh, consistent with... Uh, uh, Freemasonry, which their god is Lucifer as well. Correct. So they pray to a god, and and unless unless whenever somebody uses the term god, if they don't identify it as uh, God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Father of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and you say, well, who, what, what god are you talking about? So uh, the Sean, other, the let other me bring two it really in. Hold it. I got an example other, what Daryl's uh, talking about. I'm sorry to interrupt you, brother. It was too timely. Uh, you know who Lloyd Blankfein is, Sean? No, I do not. He's one of the head of Goldman Sachs. He's not there anymore. Well, He's I'm out sorry, because I of that. I, I, I did. I, Okay, yeah, when I didn't know that. he's sorry. kicked out because they got caught stealing about two or three billion dollars out of the Malaysian fund over there. Okay, so he's out now. But he was at the head of Goldman Sachs back in 08 with the housing foreclosure. And he got up publicly, it was repeated in headlines all over the world, got up in front of that crowd and said, We're doing God's work. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Do I you do. Well, who, which God's work do you think he's doing out there foreclosing on all them houses? <laughs> yeah, well, he was, he was, uh, so there's two other, there's actually two other very important books associated with Talmudism, which is Judaism. And these two books are called the Zohar and uh, the Kabbalah. And now uh, Jared Kushner and Ivanka are, um, Talmud Jews who practice Zohar and Kabbalism, and uh, so this is very important. This is very important because they use gematria and uh, and uh, super uh, word word ciphering with numbers, uh, and this is this is all very ritualistic uh, part of this. Now. Uh, uh, th this is this is kind of deep and, and and ugly, but uh, much of the troubles of the Jews, uh, the little Jews, has been associated with the big Jews uh, utilizing and exploiting and sacrificing the little Jews in order to get your mentality and perception into a guilt mode. Yep. 
and um, and they they leverage that they leverage that on the uh, the goyim uh, the uh, proletariat yeah uh, and and you have to you have to take a va- mental vaccine against that yeah it used to be <laughs> you, that you, Jewish guilt vir- Jewish uh, guilt was isolated to mothers now it's global <laughs> well now 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 APAC does it and the ADL do it yeah. Back in the ADL, they went mainstream, and so they they perpetuated uh, the Jewish uh, the Jewish guilt onto the rest of the world. But let me, uh, Sean, let know, me go back. Uh, Let's go back to this root thing, Daryl. I'm sorry, I just can't help but step on you because no. these thoughts come to me, and I know how important they are. Are oh. you familiar? Have you heard the name Sabbatai Zevi <laughs> or Jacob Frank? I've- I've heard the first name, but you'll have to. Well, everything started. All of this schism started evidently there. Sabbatai Zevi in the year 1666. And he had taken, you know what the Kabbalah is? That's the whole mystic thing that really is a, a lot of the root of all of this called the Kabbalah. Okay. And it's this association. Yeah, I, I, I want to. Uh, well, it's association between numerology and life, okay? And, and so it's very complex. Let's not get into that. It's not the point of it. A uh, rabbi had a different way of looking at the Kabbalah about 100 years before this guy, Zabbatai Zevi, okay? And so it didn't really go anywhere, but Zabbatai Zevi took it and declared himself the Jewish Messiah, Remember, their Messiah hadn't come yet, in 1666. And what he did was he was reading the Torah, the old first books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, I believe, okay? And you go in there, and he found a passage where it said the Messiah would only come when the world was either all good or all bad. And he reasoned that the world's never going to be all good, probably because he was in it and his bunch, and knew that they weren't going to let that happen, but you could probably make it all bad. And so they took all of the Ten Commandments, basically, and turned them around on their ear. Thou shalt not kill is thou shalt kill. Thou shalt not steal is thou shalt steal. And they lived a whole society following this rabbi all over the world. He had quite 25, 50,000 followers or more back in those days. Okay, and it had real weird rituals like swapping your wives and daughters and stuff on one night of the year, and it revolted a bunch of the more traditional Jewish community, and they did not get involved. But then Sabbatai Zevi died. About a hundred years after his death, another Jew came and picked up the whole thing, named Jacob Frank. And there's a Jew, he's dead now, that tells this information. His name is Barry Chamish. And he called Jacob Frank the worst Jew that had ever lived in history. That was his label, okay? And, and Frank is the one that took it to a whole new level with as much as half of the Jewish community worldwide participating in it, all right? And they got to a point, he was in Constantinople. And that's back during the Byzantine Empire. And the Byzantine Empire did basically what they were doing in Spain with the Inquisition. Said, you're, you're either going to convert to Islam or we're going to chop your head off. 
And so a whole bunch of them went to become what's called closet Jews or Don May in that particular part of the world. And today, even today, Saudi Arabia and that whole bunch are Don May Jews. Ataturk that took over Turkey and massacred the Armenians was a Don May Jew. Okay, so these are the deep schisms and history that underlie all this stuff we're dealing with today because maybe I can synthesize it in this statement to you. Sabbateanism is Zionism. Sabbateanism that started in 1666 has morphed just like all these political labels we talk about and it's now called Zionism. And if you go back into Revelation 2, 9, and 3, 9, there's two important verses there. If you got a red-letter Bible, they're in red. That means they're attributed to Jesus. And it says the Jews that called themselves Jews and are not. They are of the synagogue of Satan. They lie. That's in the Revelation. Now, they, they, call, they call themselves Jews, but... They're not Judean. <laughs> See, uh, they're, they're not of the house of Judah or of Israel, for that matter. And, that's, that's and, more, is that some more the equivocation Jews. and code? Yeah, it yes. is. It's all equivocation that, that and code. Be. And it's, that's why I say this is a process because <laughs> you got to go through there. Well, I'm going to shortcut it for you and save you years, man. Start dwelling on the concepts. Here's a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. Small minds talk about people. Medium minds talk about events. But large minds talk about concepts. All right. So here's a, here's a nice little tangled knot for you. Uh, for, well, actually for everybody listening. So <clears throat> uh, a lot of people are under the impression that Jesus Christ, uh, during his ministry, would go into the temples and preach, and he was uh, dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and that the, re the religion of that time that uh, was in question was uh, Judaism. Well, what, what Jesus Christ was rebuking them over was that they were practicing Judaism and, and not the laws the written laws of Moses. So Jesus was repudiating them, reproving them, and rebuking them for practicing Judaism, which weren't the laws of God the Father, as written down by Moses. Let me give Sean an so, example that I picked up out of that Pharisees book I read years ago. Okay, I've, I've used it on the air a couple of times, but it illustrates perfectly what's going on. Because what we're doing is dealing with the modern-day Pharisees, okay? In the laws of Moses, it said that you can't, on the Sabbath, you can't leave your house for so much distance, let's say a mile, w with your meat. That's the way it was put, okay? And so what the Pharisees did was on the Sabbath, they'd pick up their meat and leave their house and go nine-tenths of a mile and sit down and put their meat on the ground, and then they'd pick it up considering that to be their house and go nine-tenths of another mile until they got to where they were going. They changed the rules, just like they're doing today. They changed the rules to benefit themselves. 
Well, <clears throat> yeah. So let's let's pull this, Roger. Let's 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 take a, a contemporary word uh, and and uh, help help Sean with how powerful this is. Uh, the word person, mm. Sean. Uh, would you have a would you would you have a would you have a uh, off the top of your head this two syllable word? Would you would you have an idea what that word means? Can you can you provide a definition for that in your own words, Sean? Uh, you you want a, a sentence or you want a one word for that? Whatever. Oh, whatever you, you can, whatever you your can concept, your you concept of it. I got th- this. Uh, the, the the first thing that popped into my head was self embodied intuition. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I, I think it's really important to ask people what they what they perceive that that word means. It's actually, you see, you 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 understand that that word person as a word, and it's actually a word term as applied legally. And so you're talking about uh, the word person, like chattel. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna help you here. Uh, I got this right out of Roger's book, which uh, I highly mag- recommend that you read if you haven't, and for all those that have it and have read it, read it again. And and the word uh, word person legally means an entity to whom the law ascribes, assigns, okay, ascribes rights and duties. That's what it means. Now, this word term was changed in code in 1862. <laughs> Remember what was going on in 1862? Well, this little thing called the uh, Uncivil War. Civil War. So, yeah. And the, this was the a war setup. against northern aggression? This, no, the war to bring in the civil law. Daryl's handled the law to I bring know. in the the war to bring in the civil law. And one thing you're going to come to understand yeah. is the reason for that war was to bring in the Fourteenth Amendment so they could control the world with it a hundred years later. Let me, so, and, let and me I don't know if this, I don't know if this applies to this. But, uh, Daryl, I went to University of Alabama, and and I'm from the north. <laughs> so when I went there, my freshman year, my Civil War class was actually not called the Civil War. It was called the War Against Northern Aggression. So, yep, yep. Well, yeah. that plays into it. Well, all, that's good. Different well, <clears throat> let me share, Sean, let me share with this. I didn't go to any university, <laughs> so I'm not encumbered by their indoctrination. So, I didn't graduate, so uh, I'm not encumbered by it either. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. Congratulations on your failure. Uh, so, uh, the civil law. The civil law, or otherwise stated, the civilian law, is a legal system originating in Europe, intellectualized within the framework of Roman law, the main feature of which is that its core principles are codified into a referable system which serves as the primary source of law. This can be contrasted with common law systems the intellectual framework of which comes from judge-made decisional law and gives precedential authority to prior court decisions called, this is referred to as stereodicisis, which, by the way, you don't really have access to. Uh, So it's really important to understand that you're living your life consistent with uh, uh, Roman law, which has aspects of uh, feudal, canonical, Napoleonic and 
uh, other aspects. And uh, and and this is a, an abomination to this thing called the Constitution that you think you're a part of, and the only part of it you're a part of is the 14th Amendment Correct. and how it applies to you and its jurisdiction. So this is the equivocation of the law. So I'm kind of bouncing around here, but I'm trying. I'm drawing out the basic, the basic diagram here of the contradictions of who you think you are and who you are legally and bound to. Now. Uh, so, uh, <clears throat> what they have to do, if we go back to the beginning of Roger's show, he says they have to tell you what they're doing. And it's just that they've told you, but based upon your ignorance of the law, which uh, they're not responsible for, uh, uh, you accept and consent. And that's all they want. They, all they want is your consent. So, this is how they do it. That's they do it by uh, semantics. So you have to remember that when you're dealing with uh, counterfeit and fake Semitics, they use semantics. <laughs> okay. As if he's not confused and, enough. <laughs> and 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 this is yeah. by I was by, waiting by in counterfeit the deep end thinking. <laughs> well, uh, there have you heard you know, of a uh, have you Semitics? heard of silent weapons for quiet wars, Sean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Quiet no, weapons for silent <laughs> wars. Have you heard of that? No, I have not. It was a it was a document discovered. You know how they sell out government copiers and stuff when they're finished with them, they get new ones. And it was in a, a sale that this guy bought a copier, and as he went back in it, this document was in the copier. Okay, and years ago, it's called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. You can put it in a search engine; a bunch of stuff will come up about it. In that document. At the bottom of footnotes, it says, their consent is our victory. That's what it says. That particular phrase, yeah, go ahead, Chris. comes precisely from Edwin Bernays' treatise on propaganda on the last page. Right. And it also says in there in that footnote, it says, what we do may not always be lawful, but it will always be legal. So there's a big important difference in your basic education here to understand the difference on what is lawful and what is legal. Because there's a difference. The important, the important thing to take away here for, for your mind and for your awareness and perspective is to understand this. There is a uh, duality in process here. Yes. And it's the duality that they get your mind, your mind and your conditioning and training to move in the, on one side of that duality that they want to herd you into. And, and you have to be critical and objective enough to uh, ask the question, what's the other side of this? As Mark Twain, uh, you know, one of the quotes that Rogers brought up here for years is, you know, Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens said, it's easier to fool a man than to tell him he's been fooled. Now, listen, if you're one of these guys who's been fooled and you actually have the courage and the heart and the integrity and the hatred of hypocrisy enough to actually challenge what you thought you believed and challenge that and be critical of yourself to challenge that, my hat to you. You know, I... uh, 
I I am I am really impressed when I find people that have the courage to challenge their own thought uh, thought system. That is that's great. Daryl, so. what'd you think about my uh, one of those one of those really painful things this morning? An epiphany. Uh, opened up the show with it because it hit me right for we're the largest gathering of truly free people in the world here on this show daily. Well, that's uh, that 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 should put a that should put a target on us. Right <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> and you see here here is our whole card. The way they've got their Holocaust whole card and bring out anti-Semitism and all that stuff. We got a whole card too, and it's called fraud and truth. And if you don't think it's powerful, you stick this in front of one of them. Mm. Yeah. Well. Uh, <clears throat> well, I mean, listen. I mean, it's obvious the reason why you're here is that you realize you're being exploited and harvested. Now you're just trying to figure out how it's been done. Yeah. And uh, we 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 sort of covered the why. And uh, but. But how is it being done? And, of course, most importantly, what's the purpose of engaging and endeavoring towards this? It's remedy. Well, with, with, uh, with spiritually, the remedy is accepting uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, spiritually, that's your remedy. But, but we live in the world, and so how do we do it lawfully? Well, we, we understand our enemy, and we don't consent. And, uh, and we... We take back our inheritance, our hereditament. Uh, there's been a trespass, a premeditated forethought and malice trespass against your person. Um, you know, let me and, bring up something Glenn edited into the book that I thought was brilliant and is really illustrative of what you're talking about from the historical standpoint. Uh, it says, and he's got the quote in the book from where it's from in the Bible, but there's a quote in the Bible Sean, that says, don't move the ancient stones. And back in those days, the stones were the way that people marked the boundaries of their property. Okay? And what they've done is they've moved the ancient stones in our political status and our history, and we don't know the boundaries of our property or our hereditament. And because we don't know that and we've lost that knowledge and attachment, we've been able to be fooled. Plain and simple. They move the ancient stones. Yeah. Hey, uh, could I uh, butt in just a minute? Yeah, uh, Dennis, Dennis, please here. do. Please do, Dennis. I, I just I just want to say uh, thanks uh, to Daryl and to Roger for being so good to my son Sean and bringing him along. I, in so doing, he'll bring me along. Uh, but I think you'll find out he's a real interesting character. Uh, quite frankly, uh, he's had great experiences as a deep water sailor. And a, a world traveler, and as time goes on, you you'll, you'll find out some great, interesting things about him. But thank you very much Dude. for being so good. And he, he's smart enough to marry a girl from Argentina. On top of all of no it, no kidding. And she and she's a jewel. On top of it, she's she's really a quite a gal. Um. Well, it, this all comes from that very Roger. yep chance meeting of Dennis and I in northern Argentina. Yeah, who was trying to say something? That would be me. Hey, Bob, I'm sorry. I forgot you were there. 
I was feeling <laughs> forlorn and hangdog, but I, I stuck it out. I, I stuck. Um, I'd like to go back to this word God. The word God in both Aramaic and Greek. What it actually means isn't uh, the word Elohim. What it really means is magistrate. Yeah, lawgiver. And you certainly, that's what a judge is. And the thing is, we have conflated that term. We have accepted, there's a, I, I can't give you chapter and verse, but there's a section in the Bible, that, a verse in the Bible that talks about God's among us, and ye shall be as God. And people really don't know what to do with that. Well, it just means you're going to have judges. Psalm 82. Okay, thank you. And when God said, through his prophets, castigating and very, very strongly waving the bony finger of indignation under their noses through his prophets, says, you have gone whoring after foreign gods. He's not necessarily talking about Dagon and Moloch. He's talking about foreign law. He's talking about foreign dictates. He's talking about intermarrying and accepting their type of and their 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 uh, historical jurisprudence, if you want to call it that. And it didn't mix. It did not mix. Capitalized, bolden, underlined. It did not mix with the theology that he had. And we don't appreciate that. Most people don't have a clue that he was talking about judging. The, and it puts a whole new light on everything. It does. Sean, the roots of this go back to the biblical stories of Babylonian captivity. And if you know anything about that, most people don't, okay? Honestly, you probably were exposed to it and didn't grasp it when you are younger. But there was two different captivities. One was the southern tribes, and that was Judah and a very small tribe called Benjamin, and they controlled Jerusalem and the southern kingdom. And the ten tribes were the northern ones. They were taken into captivity in Assyria. But Judah and Benjamin were taken by Nebuchadnezzar into captivity in Babylon. Now, evidently, from what I can learn, and I, recently, somebody was saying they didn't come in and take everybody. They just came in and took the hierarchy of the civilization, the culture, the the elite families and their kids, and they brought them back to Babylon for seventy years. Okay, so they were had a couple of generations in the exposure to Babylonian culture and these ideas coming from Babylon. Now, I'm going to give you another reading if you're reading a list in long enough already. But this is important basic information because it gives you the roots of what we're dealing with. Over on my website, SovereignToSurf.com, on the right side, there's a book you can download called Historical Jurisprudence. I don't remember the author's name. It was written in the 1930s. I believe it's published by John Hopkins. And it literally is a history of jurisprudence. And the first 90 pages of that deal with what's titled the Babylonian Merchant Code. Well, buddy, that's what's running the world this day. Okay? So it's important you understand its origins and some of its quirks and nuances. All right, but that's the root of all this. So when they came back and they were released, Nebuchadnezzar died. And his successor released 
the captives. And they went back to Jerusalem, which for 70 years, if you'll remember in history, Jerusalem was contested territory. Okay? Everybody wanted it. The Malachites, the Canaanites, the Edomites, all those people were warring with Judah and Benjamin for that prime piece of real estate we now call Jerusalem all those years. Well, when they took the leading people out for 70 years, I mean, honestly, what do you think happened? They all went down. They started interbreeding, intermingling with all these other different uh, cultures that were there that I just aforenamed. And into that little Petri dish of cesspool, they dump these new people with this new law system, the Babylonian Merchant Code. And that's the outgrowth of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the whole system that Jesus was fighting. Okay, so there's the background on everything we're dealing with today. We're dealing with the same people. They're using the same methods, except they've disguised them, and we don't understand it. That's it. The best that I've been able to come D to Dar in 20-something years of study. Okay. I think Daryl was saying something yesterday. I'm sorry to interject. Daryl was saying something yesterday about how do you figure out the problem, or, or maybe I'm maybe I just misunderstood. But you work the problem backwards, right? Yeah, I think is what we're saying. And and so if we're confused and we know that it's the same program, we should be able to kind think of, of intuitively it. again because I'm not. I, I have to me. go with intuition for me at this stage stage in the game because I'm I'm not as read up or As, knowledgeable on it and i'm um, getting excited um, to to you know feverishly dive into all of that as as time permits but well these concepts we're trying me that these concepts we're trying to impose apart over on you are really important in how fast you'll develop and how well you'll grasp it and this is for you you're on you know you're the one we're centering on here but really this information is for everybody because there's other new listeners or as I said, this is a process. You can been in it 15 years. I guarantee you something new hits Daryl every day or at least once or twice a week out of this that he never knew or realized before because it's this process thing. And what happens is you get enough general information and knowledge underneath you in your subconscious and your mind starts giving you answers however you attribute that stimulus. Okay, But all of a sudden these wonderful answers just start appearing. All right, so it's really important to understand these basic concepts and this differential in the law and what makes us unique on all the peoples of the earth. There's only five countries in the world that have access to the common law. And you see, that's what they've had to co-opt. All this that they've done is to co-opt our access to the common law. It's a wonderful heredament. That's the ancient stones they've moved right there. Okay, so these things are very important. Another thing I would suggest for you or for anyone else, Roger, I love I, I love how you. It, for me, it's it's super insightful when you talk about the stones and you break it down the way you do, and the, and then also the the idea of concepts rather than. You know, trying to digest it all at once. I think that's that's well, absolutely the you want to know the, do it. But I love that the, st the 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 stone markers because in my business, would you know what I do? Yeah, it's marked by you know boundaries and title and things like that. And I went and I looked into the avoidal system yesterday that um, Daryl was talking about. I mean, God, I, I I've learned a bunch and I'm and and I haven't learned 
anything close to what's out there so far. So it, it is exciting. And, and I, I told you I was going to be listening intently this whole week. And, you, you know, it's, I didn't, I didn't realize how easy it was to access your program. I thought it was so difficult before and now I can get it in three different ways. So I'm excited. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say this stuff's real important. I was also going to point you in another, put it on your list. This one's a really important. Daryl alluded to it a minute ago is I'll go to YouTube and you can put in the science of law. And it was, I, I just realized that thing's about three hours long or more. And it was shows I did when I first got started on the real technical thing. And this is what I'd tell you. Cause he was asking you what you thought of the word person. That that word and the in, and the legal definition run the world and your ignorance of it. I'm not being pointing a finger, but everybody's general ignorance of it contributes to it. The whole world roll, roll, runs off of a very simple formula: R plus D equals R. And in that tape, what I do is go into that whole formula, how it applies, and go back and use it to the seven, I think now we've found eight, landmines in the first clause of the 14th Amendment. There's seven or eight legal landmines in there, and you'd never know it if you don't know this information on the science of law. And the, what Daryl was talking about, and I'll just give you, pick up the cover just a little bit here, is that word person and the description he read to you. A person is an entity. It doesn't have to be an individual. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. An entity to whom the law ascribes rights and duties. Well, how does that fit? Well, if you go back to that formula, R plus D equals R that runs the world. Every legal system runs off of that formula. R plus D equals R. And what it stands for is rights with a plus sign duties equals remedies. And you see, in our community, you hear a whole bunch of people talking about rights. You can be around here for years and you'll hear rights, rights, my rights, your rights, everybody's rights. You're hearing it now. Okay. In this, in this shutdown. Well, they don't know about duties, and you sure as hell never hear them talk about remedies. And all three of those things are in the formula. Person, an entity to whom the law ascribes rights and duties. Okay, so if the 14th Amendment doesn't describe you any rights as that person, then as that person, you don't owe any correlative duties, do you? you got to have both. They're inseparable, rights and duties. If you don't get any rights from the 14th Amendment, therefore, according to the formula that runs the legal systems of the world, you don't have any correlative duties, like obeying agencies or paying any income tax outside of 871B and 877B. So those kind of things maybe sound mm -hmm. good to you? Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, Roger. Yes. Roger, what was the what was the name of that guy that uh, was a running mate of uh, Paul Ryan uh, when they uh, were running uh, the the Mormon guy that used to be the governor of uh, uh, up there in uh, Utah? I don't Mitt know. Romney. Uh, uh, Romney? Mitt Romney. Yeah, thanks. Mitt, yeah, Mitt Romney. So back back when Mittens Romney was uh, running for president, president, <laughs> principal resident. He he was running for principal, principal resident, and uh, he uh, he made the comment uh, that I never forgot. He says, uh, "Well, you know, corporations are persons too." 
And that that sort of hit me upside of the forehead. It's like, like what? Por- corporations are persons too? Well, uh, I, I want to bring you back to this. Uh, in 1862, it was a corporate it was a corporate Congress because it wasn't it wasn't de jure because it it couldn't it couldn't achieve a a real quorum. And uh, so this board of directors of the uh, corporate Congress of 1862, they changed the meaning of a single word. That word is person. And from then on, the word person is deemed to mean corporation for federal government purposes. Now, this can be found uh, in the Library of Congress. And I, I can give you this, the, uh, the page and title and the whole thing to that. But uh, suffice to say... Uh, the the most dangerous word in the English language and has been used to their purpose is one single word. It's called assume or assumption. Or presumption. Uh, uh, or presumption. They So presumption and assumption are used as a, as a, as a claymore. It's a double-edged sword. Uh, and they use it against you. So they presume, they presume to be correct and know what they're to be the truth, and you assume they're right. <laughs> okay, and and you you have to stop assuming that they're working in your best interest. I mean, at this point, everybody listening to this must understand that they're they're working for their self interest, and uh, their interest is in in uh, competition with yours. Now. And so, uh, stop participating with it, and you can do that lawfully. So Let me go back to what we talked about earlier in Sabotage Zevi and what he did. He switched everything to what? Opposites. What's the most famous? You got two young girls. What's the most famous children's story in history, Sean? Oh, it depends. Alice in I Wonderland. Guess. Alice um, in Wonderland. Or Through the Looking Glass. Okay? Well, think of that title, Through the Looking Glass. Opposites. When the Rothschilds had a costume ball, you can go look at this on the Internet. There's pictures of it. They had a big-time costume ball a couple of decades back. And everybody came in costume. And if you find the right article on the Internet about it, it'll say, Lady Rothschild was so clever that she wrote the invitations backwards where you'd have to look at them in a mirror to read them. Opposites, opposites, opposites. Everything in their whole plan is based on dialectics, opposites. So now we know what it's based in. We can always find the answer to the problem that we're looking for because whatever it is is always in the opposite direction, 180 <clears throat> degrees. Yeah. So to, to build on what Roger just said, what they've been able when, when as they work in dialectics or opposites, what this is what the effect it has on you on you. Okay. So when they do that, this is what happens to you. It separates cause and effect. And now you, you, you feel the effect, but you can't identify the cause. Because you're trying to build a logical, make logical decisions and observations and conclusions 
based upon based upon a false premise. Correct. So if you're sailing, if you're sailing on the high seas in your deep sailing craft and you are not situationally aware, Sean, and you are making decisions in real time on your deep sailing ship based upon a false premise, how long will how long will you survive, Sean? Let me probably not too long. Let me show you how you can okay. play this and turn it to your advantage. So now they're asking you these questions. And I grant you the people you're talking with aren't going to know the answer, but it's very good for your friends also in spreading this. We've talked about it extensively on the program, is you take that and turn it around and use it in your favor. So when they say, are you a resident, you ask questions like you're a good salesman. A salesman always answers a question with a question, right? Are you a resident? Are you imputing a geographical or a political definition to that term? Are you a citizen of the United States? Do you mean a citizen of the United States, or do you mean a citizen of the United States of America? See, you can take these things and play with them and advantage yourself with them if you understand it. But you got to get, you know, like any kind of weapon, you got to get familiar with it yeah, and I, know it and how to use it. And it I take was just going to say, I, yeah. after my... After my first briefing yesterday, I, I don't know if I can use anything. <laughs> no, it's the, that's a little or, or, that's a little ways down the road. But I'm trying if, to if if I tried to if I tried to regurgitate any of no, this no, stuff, no. I'd probably well, be saying no. the opposite. So yeah, and that, idiot, but, uh, that's why I say it's a process, and you got to get the important building blocks down as foundation. Then you can build on it. And you'll get to a point <clears> where it will be mental jujitsu for you because that's what we're playing. You're taking their forces. Exactly. I was. I was just like jujitsu, they how do you do jujitsu? You take somebody else's force and use it against them, right? That's exactly what we're doing. Now we know the game, we know how it's built, we know how it works, we know who the players are. Bam! Now we can use it against them. Absolutely. Well, I think yeah. Aikido is so, what you're talking about. Yeah, Sean, probably. Yeah. Aikido, Aikido, and and well, judo, Aikido, and jujitsu are all are all similar, but. Uh, so, so what we're talking about here is is warfare, as Chris would describe it, lawfare. And uh, I know we're at war, and this is how I know we're at war is because people are dying, yeah. and there's they're being plundered, they're, and they're being plundered. So this is how I know we're at war. Now, listen, I believe in uh, I believe in reciprocity and combat uh, when necessary to protect your family and your your own personal safety. And our weapons in this war, this warfare of lawfare, are words. And uh, one in, in my uh, in my uh, army uh, surplus uh, <laughs> storage, my my one of my biggest weapons that I keep is a dictionary. And and uh, so I instead of instead of picking up a, a toy gun and talking loud and bowing up like I'm some tough guy. I, I became literate, or I do my very best to, and and so your your best weapon in this is a dictionary, and uh, if you in, in the pursuit of uh, gaining knowledge of this, you will abs you'll need a reading list and you will need a book, and the book you need is uh, either a fourth or sixth edition uh, uh, Black's Law Dictionary. You will have absolutely it's imperative that you have one. Yeah. Uh, 
it, because uh, this, these are the word terms uh, of warfare that they're using and employing against you, and and you have access to the same artillery. And uh, what uh, <clears throat> there there's a war going on here, and the weapons are words. Sean, you got a used bookstore. You got any used bookstores down there around you? Um, not that anything's open now. No, no, I mean, I don't mean open, but when, when they things reopen, go buy a good used bookstore and go back to the legal area and you'll probably find a good blacks used for a couple of bucks, but get one of the old versions. Also they, look on eBay or Craigslist yeah, probably. and, you know, usually a few dollars, those old books aren't worth much, except that's the one the Supreme Court lies on is the fourth edition. Yeah. And believe it or not, they changed the definitions from edition to edition. I know you'd probably find that hard to believe, but it is West Publishing. And we do know who owns them. Okay. So, anyway, uh, that's a good so suggestion. Is, so so, so just, just to ask you, if I do find it, the fourth or the sixth is the one I use. I think Bob or Robin um, just said the fourth edition is the Supreme Court uh, go-to. Yeah, that's what he said. Actually, and Congress, here's another wrinkle for you. Uh, Congress uses the 1919 Ballantines Law Dictionary to write laws. That's their reference, legal dictionary. But the black suffices. There's seven or eight versions of them. Try and get four or six. Uh, they have different covers. I know the what is fourth in the fourth green. Is the fourth uh, a, a, a green cover? I think it is. Green and they sometimes they've got different versions. They got the special limited edition. They yeah. got the you know there's anyway. three or four different versions, but yeah. uh, it's not, it may be brown or tan instead of green. But okay. I don't. I have to look to be sure. Another really good and Daryl was talking about dictionaries. Are you familiar with the best dictionary in the world? It's called the Oxford English Dictionary. And if you go to a full size library, it'll take up a whole shelf. And the reason that's considered to be the finest dictionary in the world is because they go into the etymology of every word and every place it's appeared in what document and what year. And you can go back and trace words through the Oxford English Dictionary. Can I illustrate etymology? Yeah. Sure. The word term sovereign citizen is oxymoronic. Sovereign, the etymology, E-T-Y-M-O-L-O-G-Y, sov means self, and reign means to rule, regulate, or control, whereas it is inappropriately related to citizen, which city denizen is where citizen comes from, and that is a form of serf or slave of the city. Let's say unless it's capitalized. Put that in there because I think that's important. If it's capitalized, it's the opposite. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, in that fourth edition, you can also find under Capitus Maximus, Capitus Minimus, and Capitus Diminutio several different meanings of capitals, mixed capitals, and small terms. And all small terms have specific technical meanings. And so when we listen to the Soviets or Sovietized, that basically means to self-interest. Kleptocrats, those who make a living by stealing from everybody else, like Frederick Bastier and his treatise The Law hmm. taught us, 
are trying to convert everything to their own self-interest, that's what the Soviet system does. You know, the funny, at Bastier came up this morning. It's mentioned in the new Max Kaiser uh, and and another another Shane friend of ours posted it on our forum today over here on the show forum that we do on WhatsApp, and this is the exact quote: "When plunder becomes a way of life in a society, over the course of time, they create for themselves a legal system that authorizes it and a moral code." that glorifies it that's quoted from another book you ought to put on your reading list shane it's called the law and it was written in the 1850s by an economist named frederick bastier french b-a-s-t-i-a-t you can find it easily on the internet plunder that's what's going on now it's a fantastic book really fantastic it is Brilliant, man. Almost 200 years old is brilliant. Yeah. <clears throat> hey, why why are we short. all been talking? I looked, I looked on eBay for the uh, Black Law Dictionary, and the fourth edition is more expensive across the board than the sixth edition, So, which leads me to believe that the fourth is probably the more important one. Yeah, then. it's probably more highly prized well, your, because they hadn't doctored a lot of the definitions back then. Yeah. The, the other book, the other dictionary that you don't have to go to a library for what you should possess is uh, Webster's 1828 dictionary yeah. that goes before they before the words were uh, serially uh, manipulated. You really you really do want to have an 1828 Webster's while you can still get them. Now, Sean, you can buy them these, actually. These yeah. words that we're throwing around here for you. One, uh, the most important one that I've found, which I believe is the key to the whole New World Order scheme, is resonant. Okay? And that, resonant. if you use, yeah, if you go to a regular uh, collegiate dictionary and go to the word resonant, Webster's Dictionary, you'll find these definitions, and I'm going to give you one and two. Okay? And go back to our formula, R plus D equals R. And the first definition under resonant is a place or of dwelling for some time. I used to quote it directly. A, a, a place of living or dwelling for some time. That's the first one. And the second one is a place of living or dwelling for some time for the receipt of a benefit or the discharge of a duty. The first one is the geographical definition. The second one's the legal definition. There's your equivocation right there. But I've maintained for a long time, I became really aware of this living in Argentina, living out of the country, and the residency issue uh, on how important that is, okay? Very important. Now, were you hey, saying Roger. the word? Were you saying the word? Were you saying the word was resident or resident? Resident. A dent for the person. Okay, gotcha. Okay. That's just a... Hey, Roger, uh, comment on... Yeah, Bob. Comment on what Daryl was saying earlier about the changing of definitions and coming to the fight well-armed, you know, with a good dictionary. Reminds me of a quote from, I believe it was our old friend Mark Twain. He came to a battle of wits somewhat unarmed. Yeah, yeah, that's a lovely one. Uh, 
Okay, we got and, Patrick that joined us. Further, to okay. further that, to further that, I think Confucius had uh, had the first word on that, or at least the word word we know of. And if that's not up yet, it needs to be. When he said over two thousand years ago that when words lose their meaning, people lose their freedom. Yep. Now that was a prescient fellow and profound we got patrick with us and we got harvey that's joined us here and we got about i don't know 20 minutes or so less let's go to patrick first he was kind enough to put his mute on and he as he's cooking his breakfast there in the background hey patrick hey now did y'all hear about them shutting down the beef factories uh, up in north dakota south dakota and the national guard coming in pork wasn't it it spam where they make spam? Oh, that's been that's been shut down. They're shutting down the beef deal now. Supposedly, one factory is paying the other employees that got laid off. I guess to put a coup on them. But uh, I see this fuel thing shutting down the the country. They're not going to be able to produce it down in Texas. Be more people on unemployment. All of our reserves are full. It's going it's going into the third quarter futures, and that sends me a signal that the trucking industry is going to be shut down, yeah. not be able to get fuel because they're not producing it. And not you on, shut the trucks down, it, you got a problem. Not only that, you yeah. got the housing market. Deflation. Yeah, well, you got the housing market going into the busiest time of the year with all this crap, too. Well, they ain't through robbing us, but it's, we're, fixing to see some head, we're fixing to see some serious headwinds. I suggest you go get you some beef and put up in your freezer and some dry beans and get ready. And uh, I'm headed over to the uh, stockyard to buy me a couple of calves. Smart move. I know how to dry meat. I know how to dry my own meat. Yep. Yep. All Uh, smart move. That's the latest bulletin down here in the south. Very prescient. This food issue is going to become real important. Either start a garden, start learning how, or start looking for uh, farmers co-ops in your area that used to supply restaurants that are going to have an abundance of oversupply. People that are real entrepreneurial could get in this and probably make them a future. The other thing I wanted to mention was that Cliff was talking about the other on one of the videos, the system of systems. I mentioned it yesterday. But this is really, I thought, very prescient of him and extremely important. The system of systems is a term that was coined by a French writer to describe civilization. Civilization is a system that's comprised of a number of different systems. And all of those systems that comprise the society are now broken, and most of them are going to have to be reworked and reset up. And the people that take advantage of this are the ones that are going to benefit from this. And I'll give you one example. Uh, The guy that does the air conditioner repair for your car. He can't do air conditioner repair only anymore. He's going to have to have a system in there that certifies there's no coronavirus in the system when he returns the car back to you. Okay. Well, I, I, I heard that. I'm, I heard let me that interject I'm this uh, in my going. i got to get back to work. But go ahead. Do you skip trying to grow vegetables unless you're well-versed in it like me and got the equipment, and you got to wait for gestation, and that's at the end of the summer right. around here for the vertical equinox, but the sun as it moves, but... You're better off to find the wholesale market that us kind of guys go to to sell our goods and buy it by the case right. and learn how to can, can and put it up. But don't you can buy it cheaper there than you can produce it in the situation you're in unless you're into the equipment. Yep. And that's that's the cliff note for the day. i got to jump, fellas. Okay. Y'all have a good day. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for joining us, man. Suerte. That's Spanish for good luck. Harvey, front and center. Yes, sir. Let me tell you something. Patrick just... 
uttered some words of great wisdom and great importance. And uh, Patrick, if you're still listening, I'm indebted to you. That was good information. Um, Now, you've had such a good conversation going. I hesitated to give you a call and interrupt things, but everything's going well. Bastiat, uh, all of the other information that you're talking about. But as to the, you know, Patrick was sort of gloom and doom on the uh, future of the economy. I'm not. And the reason is that the house of cards is collapsing. Correct. This whole, this whole COVID thing has been around now and we've got responsible people like that article you sent me last night. Uh, like my old friend, George Perry, who writes uh, a blog called knowledge is good uh, and he had my brother's article in there about the questions that people ought to be asking uh, ought to be asking Fauci and Burks or whatever her name is uh, Scarf Lady uh, <laughs> so uh, he, you think he, she's uh, trying to cover up like where the vampire bit her or something I think, you know, I, I think so. Maybe she's, maybe she's had uh, uh, an endarterectomy to open up her carotid arteries that were occluded and doesn't want that scar to show. Uh, but, uh, but the thing is, when you start asking the question, of course, the big question is, what's the denominator? Oh, they got this, they got that, but they don't know. You know, it's how many deaths do you have divided by uh, uh, how many people got the disease or how many people were exposed to it. Harvey, let me show you this metric. Let me share this metric with you. I heard, and I'm sure it's skewed more to the high side by now. There's been 791 jobs lost for every coronavirus death. Good night. Good night, Roger. That's, That's important. So 801 is what we're looking at. Yeah, there's a study out of Santa Clara. There's another study out of uh, Stanford. There's uh, that doctor that whose link you sent me. Uh, there is uh, Dr. Shiva. There's, you know, it just goes on. And Dr. J, whatever his name is, Indian doctor who's at Stanford. It just goes on and on and on. And this another doctor in Tennessee who was incidentally raised in the Atlanta area. Um, and they're all saying, wait, 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 let's let's look at this. You can't make predictions. You can't make pronouncements unless you know what the total number of people is that has gotten the disease. Well, now it appears the best estimates for this recent testing is that. 50 to these are the numbers they used in one study 50 to 85 times as many people have gotten the disease as the NIH, CDC, AMA, pharma, and everybody else has been claiming. So the the uh, virulence of this disease is right on the same order 
as the seasonal flu. No more, no less, it appears. And so how do we deal with the flu? Well, it's pretty easy. You know, it's, I've been dealing with it since 1995 using uh, a 1% solution of hydrogen peroxide in the cool mist room humidifier. And it usually cures the flu or a cold in one night. I put, I take, I take a bottle of 3%, that's over-the-counter strength, 3% hydrogen peroxide, and I take two bottles of water, same size, of course. So now we've tripled the volume. That means we've, we've, we're down to one-third of the original strength. So we've gone from 3% to 1%. And you can even add five bottles of water and go down to a half percent, and you're still effective. Uh, and you put it in an ultrasonic room humidifier, and you run it in the bedroom overnight. Boom. You wake up next morning, you don't have the, the disease. I remember uh, back in 95, right after I had discovered all this and started using it in the family and a couple of friends, another friend, I, I never did find out how she heard about it, but she called me and she said, uh, Harvey, this is Juanita. She was lived down in Fayetteville. And I said, well, hey, how are you? She said, all right, but uh, she said, I hear you got a cure for the flu. I said, that's right. She said, well, I got four sick youngins. <laughs> and and I said, okay. I said, do you have a cool mist room humidifier? She said, sure do. I said, I was surprised. It was a Sunday night. And uh, I said, do you have some hydrogen peroxide? She said, sure do. I said, okay, this is what you do. And told her how to mix it. I said, put them all in the same bedroom. Put the mattresses on the floor. Put the heads toward the center of the room. Crank up that humidifier, make sure that the mist stream goes up right over their heads, and they ought to be fine. Sure enough, next morning she called me. She said, Harvey, they're all well now. Every one of them. In one night, it was a six, back then a quart of peroxide cost 66 cents. So if she used a full quart, it cost her 16 and a half cents per patient to get a cure. And hey, that's about as cheap as it. I'm going to yeah. tell you, you need to listen to what this guy's saying. I've known him almost 30 years, longer than probably you've been I'm, around I'm, almost, okay? I, I, I appreciate it. I'm listening intently. I, I really am. I'm building up my uh, medical supplies, uh, <clears throat> not wanting to go in for, you know, having young kids for cuts and things how, like that. And, how old are your daughters? How old trying are your daughters? Trying to learn how to, how how to, learn how to suture. How old are your daughters? Um, they're 11 and 9. Okay. 11 and 9. Here's an interesting headline that just hit Zero Hedge, and it's interesting because of the source. And the source is the Bank of America. And I'm going to quote the quotes here. Quote, Fed can't print gold, unquote. Bank of America calls gold, quote, the ultimate store of value, unquote. Raises <laughs> price target to $3,000. That's on Zero Hedge. Is that right? Well, but don't worry. The Federal Reserve will print beef and chicken for us <laughs> if the supplies run low. It's not going to taste worth a damn, but they'll print it. Oh, you you conspiracy kooks. I tell you. Oh, all they got to do is turn on the presses. They'll print plenty for us. We don't have to worry about starving. Unbelievable. Just, Roger, I tell you. I, and 
as you all were just saying that, I, I looked at Kitco real quick, and gold's at sixteen seventy five. Yeah. So it was trying to break seventeen hundred yesterday. Hit seventeen oh one, and that kind of it's, it's coming down. Silver's getting crushed. Well, Keith, yeah. remember what you're looking at. You got it once again, like Judaism and all these other political status. You got to go in and realize you can't look at the surface and understand that, because that spot price that you're looking at is based on paper play money that's set by derivatives through Comex and the London Bullion Market Exchange. They're crashing right now because so many people are want, are demanding delivery, which is very unusual. They just usually roll the futures contracts and take their settlements in cash, but with this. People are wanting delivery, and that's what's short sheet in the system is the physical world versus this play derivatives world where you're seeing that spot price generated. The the proof yeah, in the pudding exactly. and that, I, is you can't find any silver or gold without paying at least double what that price is as represented on Kitco. So it's just important to have that understanding, not get a, no, a false, so a false a good, telltale on your mainsail. Point. You don't want a false telltale on your mainsail. Yeah, to, I so I called a couple sources this morning, and they're at eighteen thirty-two uh, an ounce, basically. So I mean, even though the spots at sixteen, that you know something, at, you know, to yeah. actually buy it, it's eight, well, eighteen thirties, and yeah. Well, it's fixing to go through the roof. Okay, I mean through the roof. We're going to be astounded at the levels we see gold, silver, and and the viable coins at six to eight to twelve months from now. We're going to be astounded. Do you think so? Do you think silver is realistic at three thousand over the next couple of years? Well, it depends. You got to you got to hitch in the giddy up here. And and six months ago, you could unequivocally said yes, but because one of silver's desirable aspects is that it's used in industry, and there ain't a whole lot of industry going on right now, or maybe for the foreseeable future. That's why gold's going to lead this time. Usually, silver leads when there's spikes. But this time it's going to be gold. I'm pretty sure that's why. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if they're going to use right. it, I mean, they can't, you know, if they're using it in phones and technology and things like that. People aren't going to pay $10,000 for a computer. So No, and you're going to see a manufacturing demand for all these. We don't know the degree of crippling that China is at or is going to go through. And at this point in time, Virtually all that comes out of China, at least the base components of it. Daryl, you were trying to say something? Oh, oh well, uh, yeah. Uh, at some point uh, when gold is completely inaccessible, people will use silver for non-industrial purposes. And, and like a, like a Max Kaiser and um, Gregory Manorino and uh, even uh, uh, Willie uh, Silver, Silver will be the uh, you know the, the the silver bullet to kill the vampire. So for for a lot of people, so I highly recommend it. But that's just me. Well, I think this is where you should have a smattering of all of it. You you choose the uh, the the percentages and the equivocation and stuff. But I think it's healthy to be exposed to all these hard metal options and alternatives because they're all going to be viable. A salient consideration is that if gold actually goes to three or more thousands per ounce and silver is then a portion of that, then it becomes more viable for a marketable metal to be able to do daily transactional yeah. point-of-sale exchanges 
than trying to negotiate a, a quarter or a half ounce of gold when well, it's a $1,000 bill. Okay, well, let's plug Carrot Bars here because Carrot Bars has gram and subgram sizes, and they're going to be one of the only places in the world. Gold Money, a couple of other viable enterprises are going to be the only places you're going to acquire small-size, high-quality gold. Sean, I mentioned to you mm-hmm. in our correspondence Roger, yesterday. Roger did. Uh, there's something important. We don't have much time here, and I can cover it, I think, in what we got left. I mentioned to you the basal accords, okay, and why that's important, and virtually nobody knows about it, is a year ago at the end of March, they instituted the Basel III accords. Do you know the importance of Basel, Switzerland, and the Bank of International Settlements? Um, I... Probably the highline approach, not, not in-depth. Okay, well, they're called go, the go Bankers ahead, Bank because they control 178 central banks throughout the world and all of the exchanges, futures, stock, bond, etc. It's It's the, the heartbeat of the whole thing is Basel, Switzerland. They're a separate country like the Vatican, the City of London, and Washington, D.C. also. Anyway, they came out with the Basel Three Accords. They were instituted last March, and what they basically did, it was for banks. And they said banks can now buy gold, and instead of the way it's always been treated as a Tier 3 asset, banks have three tiers of assets, one, two, and three. And gold has always been, for 50 years since the BIS was established, a Tier 3 asset as opposed to one or two. What that means is a Tier 3 asset, they can only carry 50% of its market value over to their balance sheet. A Tier 1 asset can be 100%. It's usually bonds, cash, etc. And Tier 2 is 75%. For the first time in 50 years, they moved gold to a Tier 1 asset where banks could count 100% of its market value. Why do you think they did that? To help their insolvency, that's coming because up. Because right? the paper they know is losing, and it was written in a white paper by the guy that was a director of the BIS in the late 80s, that this was a way to overcome what he saw down the road. And they will close the banks, have a bank holiday, and they will revalue gold overnight, and the revaluation from, let's say, 1000 to 10000 will make up for all the losses on the paper side, and the banks will still be solvent. Yeah, I, I need to correct you on some. Yeah, I need well, to correct you. Here. What's that, uh, Sean? That they're not going to be insolvent. You will be, and you will buy the gold <laughs> back from them at the inflated prices. <laughs> well, that's the plan. Also, a lockdown could be a bank holiday. But the pro, you see, uh, if you hey, understand, if if you understand what I laid out, too much. If if you understand what I laid out for you, I, I do. Yeah, the only reason they would do that is they're going to do a global reset. That's the only reason. Not to throw out a bunch of stuff at once here, but um, three things popped into my head. And one was, you know, one of the large banks, I think it's Morgan Stanley, controls a a bunch of silver. And this is very disjointed here, but um, Roger 
did the did your gold group did they get that ATM machine of sorts set up in Miami or did, yeah oh, they've got did, the did that go and they've then? completed the whole system they got their own exchange their own dual blockchain only one in the world all the stuff it's completed now and just waiting to recover from that theft tragedy that they experienced last year on the spot price it's going to rise just like anything associated with gold will and it's going to have a lot of cyber components which is even more exciting to a lot of people uh, listen we're about out of time here guys been a very very productive program today i think we got a lot of really important stuff covered and as for anybody that's been in this i don't care how long you cannot hear this basic information enough times you can't hear it enough quite agree okay so uh, anyway, we'll do it again tomorrow. Paul's going to be with us, I'm sure, and that's always great. And, Sean, I hope we uh, gave you another drink out of the fire hydrant today. You got your reading list and your marching assignment. <laughs> Thank you. We'll, uh, it. we'll see you all tomorrow with Paul. Have a great day. I'm, we'll see I'm, what happens the rest of it. So, hasta, uh, hasta luego, amigos. Oh!